This is Charlie Quinn, and welcome to Softball Nation, the podcast dedicated to giving you insights, advice, and tips about the game of softball. We talk to some of the most accomplished players, coaches, and experts, and learn through their stories and experiences. I was so excited to have Sue Enquist as a guest on Softball Nation. As head coach of the UCLA Bruins, Coach Enquist won a total of 887 games in her 27-year career, making her the winningest softball coach among all active coaches. Coach Enquist has won 11 national championships. And another fun fact, she's actually the only person in NCAA history to win a national championship both as a player and as a coach. Coach Enquist has been inducted into the International Women's Sports Hall of Fame, the National Fast Pitch Coaches Association Hall of Fame, and the UCLA Hall of Fame. She is now the founder of her own organization, One Softball, which we talk all about in this episode. We had a fantastic conversation, and Coach Enquist shared her favorite insights. The first insight was to have a failure recovery system. Coach Enquist talks about how she practiced a failure recovery system with her team at UCLA. The next insight is Coach Enquist's 33% rule. We talked about how to stay in the top 33% on and off the field. The final insight is for coaches. Coach Enquist talks about what it means to give the game back to the players. She also shares some ideas on how to start giving the game back to your team. Hope you enjoy this episode. Let's talk about um, where you grew up and uh, a little bit about your family. I'm fortunate that I still live in the house I grew up in. About 10 years ago, my father had passed away. My mom had never spent the night alone. So it gave me an opportunity to come here, take care of her the last 10 years of her life, which was such a privilege. I live in the town I grew up in, obviously, and I'm fortunate to have grown up in a time where my mom and dad, they raised me to have values that were going to be timeless. My father was a, a military guy. He was a World War II veteran, two-time Purple Heart. He stormed the beaches of Normandy during World War II. And he had a very rigid belief around work ethic, about being on time, about being respectful. And then my mom was a nurse. She had a free spirit, a curious nature about people. Taught me over time to not judge others until you've walked in their shoes. And I had a great combination of my father's rigid values around work ethic and my mom, positive and uplifting and non-judgmental curiosity that I think I've taken on throughout my life. Um, I'm a Title IX baby. I'm an individual that benefited from the federal law that states that boys and girls should have equal access and opportunity around sport. So in the mid-70s, I had an opportunity to play boys baseball in high school. Wow. Yes, that was a great experience. And I also lived during a time where you could do lots of sports at once. So I competed on the surf team, played on the tennis team, played basketball, played softball, played baseball. We just had the seasons were shorter. So you could have right. seasons in one academic year. And playing on the boys' baseball team is what gave me the exposure to have the opportunity to go to UCLA. So my upbringing was a combination of free-spirited surfing lifestyle combined by a highly competitive boys' baseball team and a circle of friends that played three or four sports per year. That was my wow. foundation and certainly a good one before I headed to UCLA. I wanted to talk more about this. Um, you as a professional surfer, that is, that's pretty cool. I turned pro in college. 
So during the summer, I competed when I had finished my softball eligibility. I competed in the pro tour. I was the West Coast amateur surf champion and then jumped up to the pro ranks and proceeded to get my tail whipped and realized that if I don't fully commit to being a pro surfer, I'm going to continue to get my behind kicked. So uh, I had to make a decision. So I was only a pro for two summers before I realized that I had this great opportunity to get into coaching, which by the way, fell into my lap. I never planned on getting into coaching. So the pro surfing career was short-lived, but my surfing competitive career uh, was certainly a long one and started in junior high and went all the way through college and beyond. What's the biggest wave you ever rode? Probably in Hawaii, which is in surfing, when you say the waves are six to eight, the layman from the shore can double that. So if you Mm -hmm. hear that the surf is six to eight, just picture a 12-foot wall. And wow. that's how big that wave is. So for me, it was probably nine to 10 foot surf that was about a 20 foot face. Wow. Yeah, wow. pretty scary. <laughs> pretty scary, yeah. <laughs> chest. 
and she couldn't move her glove left or right, and she couldn't move her bottom off the bucket. So you can imagine how difficult it was to throw strikes, and our players then would practice tapping their chest twice, owning my bad, saying my bad, and then giving the outs to a teammate. So they pass the chest, say my bad, own the mistake, turn to a teammate, give the out. That's our way of saying we've moved on to the next play. I'm ready now to the next play, and then step back into their position. And we would practice right. that every day. Mm-hmm. So come game day, no one would be setting us off by their emotional sadness. And, you know, what I'm learning right now as I am learning about the mental game and how important it is, is that as you did with your team, you literally have to have, like, a routine, not just, like, an unstructured mindset, I guess, um, more like an exact routine that when you make an error or, you know, strike out, you can go through that routine, and then mentally reset. Exactly. You've hit it right on mm-hmm. the head. And the players that stick to that plan are the ones that actually come very close to reaching their potential. Yeah. It's very important to be specific in that plan. Is what I'm finding works for me. And the, and the first place to start is for our student-athletes to understand you have a strong voice and a weak voice in your head. Yeah. For the first time, many players are like, oh, my gosh, I now can hear that other weak voice. And once you right. can discern right. Whether you're in your strong or your your weak voice, then you can execute your plan. Yes, I um, listened to your uh, speech, Fear and Failure. I thought that point about the strong and weak voice is very interesting. You had said you can't really make that weak voice go away necessarily, but you can overpower it with your strong voice or listen to your strong voice. Exactly. I know you said in the beginning, you know, coaching fell into your lap. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that play softball, but what made you want to be a coach? Well, I didn't know I wanted to be a coach when I was getting ready to finish UCLA. I had technically graduated in the spring, and so I had 10 weeks off before I I walked at graduation. And my coach at the time said, I know you're going to go to graduate school in the fall, but would you consider just helping me for one quarter before you graduate? And I said, sure, I'm not going to get into coaching. And gosh, it was within a week later, I realized I loved doing this. And so it's really funny. It was like it was yesterday. I remember my dad's a military guy, engineer. My mom's like the full-on positivity person called and I said, I don't want to go to grad school, you know? And my mom's like, oh, I think that's wonderful. And my dad's like, (laughs) How are you going to pay for the bills, you know? So I had a balance between those two things. And uh, I worked three jobs for 11 years uh, while I was coaching. And um, I loved every minute of it. Just enjoyed teaching people how to see their potential and believe in their potential on a day-to-day basis. So back to your speech, fear and failure, this concept of MCWs and, and kind of your uh, your development, your growth as a coach. Can you um, talk about what MCWs mean? An MCW for me was early in my career, I was just about winning, winning at all costs, whatever it would take. I never worried about the person that was being driven by me. I wanted that performer to execute. I wanted us to win. And if we didn't win, I was not only very upset, but I found myself passing judgment on my kids. And Later on in my career, I realized we would win, but we weren't winning the right way. It was like empty. It was like bad calories, you know, and good calories and bad calories. And it wasn't until I I realized I had a, a kind of a stopping moment. I had some players sit me down on my team and said, you know, coach, you're really only there for us when we're playing well. And when we struggle, you point the finger and we turn into us and them. 
and the coaches against the players. I remember Coach Wooden, who was a great thought leader in sport, UCLA's former basketball coach and influencer of so many coaches. He said that you're close to reaching your potential as a leader when you can love the kids unconditionally, love the players on good days and bad days, and to really value the process and put the person always above the performer. And so that was a turning point for me to place a greater value in how I'm going about the process, that I must create them to emotionally be safe, to be able to go for it, and win, lose, or draw, I love them the same. To put meaning behind their experience beyond just winning and losing. So that probably made um, your coach, your whole coaching experience more enjoyable and, and feel more like family and feel like you were all in it together. And this sense that you have a deeper engagement with people when they know you have their back when times are hard. I mean, I don't know about mm-hmm. you, Charlie, but I've never met a kid that has a crappy attitude that's hitting 600, right? I mean, everything's fine right. when you're winning, when you're dominating, and everybody's got a great attitude. But what separates you and your relationships is when your relationships can go through hard times and still stay together. Once I started doing that, the winning was more meaningful. But more importantly, the relationships were more authentic and sustained time to this day where I have many relationships with my players to this day. And did you find that the the team dynamic also changed because of that? Yeah, there was just a sense of relief that coach is always going to be there for us. When you know you have someone's loyalty, you're willing to go for it. You don't panic. And uh, when you can create conditions where kids don't panic under really stressful conditions, you're going to be really close to reaching your potential. Awesome. Another point from your speech that I wanted to bring up was uh, the 33% rule. The 33% rule is about whether you're a mom, a dad, a coach, a player, that in your community there's a third of the people uh, most consistently that just suck the life out of you. They are the people that never were told that life is a team sport. So when you're in your office or you're in your group setting, we don't need you to document how hard every inch of your day is or document that it's raining or document that you're tired or document that your cleats hurt or document that you hate your boss. They're just people that just are barfing all the time and they have a tendency to suck the life out of other people. Then you got the middle third. The middle third teammate is that one that loves the team, loves the coach, loves the season when everything's going perfect. But and then if things get hard, they turn into bottom third. And then last, you got top third. Those are the people that go out every day, get 100% of what they have. They try to speak positively and honestly, consistently. And which are you? You got to ask yourself, which are you? And and you you will fall in one of those categories. Ask your friends, hey, am I am I ever bottom third? If I have a pattern of being bottom third. It will be a wake up call for many people because those that realize life is a team sport understand that when the group's together, let's focus on what we can accomplish, not what we, we can't. And I mean, when you were, you know, recruiting players, were you able to see that top that top percent? And like, in what ways did you see that? You know, your listeners need to understand that the college coach is evaluating the family the minute they park the car in the parking lot. So I can tell bottom third parents the minute I see them get out of the car, how they talk to their children, how they talk to their spouses, how they talk to their siblings. The minute you get to the park, are you hustling? How do you manage failure recovery? What do the parents say in the stands? People need to understand the college coach is assessing every minute of every day they're at that tournament. It's not just whether you can hit the curveball or have a great backhand. I would almost say that that's more important than if you can hit the curveball. 
Well, it is more important because it'll carry you through life. And life is full of setbacks and being a top third. And I always like to say, shoot to be top 1%. You'll end up being the person that influences the rest of the room and can drive change. Um, The hard part for people is sustaining it because most people are average. I also found that leaders, and I'm recruiting athletes, leaders don't complain. Leaders, they don't complain. I wanted to talk about this concept of giving the game back. I, I absolutely love that yes. point that you made in your speech. Can you tell us about that? What happens is these young student athletes grow up playing, first of all, isn't fun uh, because it's all about winning and scholarships. And second, we filled them with so much biomechanical information and how to structure each part of their game that it's stiff. So I wish we could enact an uncoaching rule and give the game back to the kids. Let the game be theirs. And I challenge coaches all the time, but let the players run the last half hour of practice. You may be surprised what they come up with. Let the players coach the bases. They'll have a greater appreciation for your job. And they'll also open up their scope in seeing the game nine people instead of just 60 feet and turn left on the base path. Right. So, you know, it's about the players owning it and um, having fun with it. Yeah. Price it modestly so 
everybody could be a part of the mobile one softball community. I do quickly want to tell our listeners that when I visited the website, I was so excited to see how much I had access to right there and all of the stress that comes with high schoolers playing softball and wanting to play in college. And I mean, if you're anything like me, I'm always thinking, am I doing enough? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Visiting the One Softball website, I kind of just took a breath of relief. Like all of these resources are right here in one place. And um, I'm just so excited to use it. There's so many different people from so many different backgrounds who have done so many different things, have done videos to help you. Exactly. And that was our goal was, can we vet it and verify it and be the gatekeeper to softball players and their families. You can trust one softball. We've done the homework versus just Googling curveball. We know the nightmare that comes up. How do you discern what's trusted and not trusted? Right, exactly. And I mean, it's not it's not just for players. It's for coaches and it's for families. And it's that resource we, we've been looking for. Oh, well, thank you for the plug, Charlie. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time to do the podcast with me today. Well, this was terrific, and I just appreciate everything you're doing, and I want to wish you luck in your career, and just know one softball's right in your back Take pocket. Care, if you need anything from us, please reach out. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Softball Nation. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud for more conversations like this. Also follow my Instagram and Twitter at underscore Charlie Quinn underscore to stay updated on Softball Nation news. 